Hi, I'm Brent Feldman, and this is another episode of Mix and Matchbox. Today, I'm joined by Al Marcella, who is the president of Business Automation Consultants. Hi, Al. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Yeah, um, okay. Well, thank thank you for joining me. Thanks for being on the podcast, and definitely looking forward to jumping into stuff. Um, I guess you have had your company for a little while now, and you're in the field of cybersecurity, obviously, which has a lot of uh, activity and stuff that that field in general right now. Um, I guess you know, in general, kind of what what got you into the field of cybersecurity? Well, uh, Brian, I started started the, the firm. Um, oh, I don't know, back in the seventies late 70s, and uh, it was just uh, the interest in security in general, securing uh, organizations. I started really as a COBOL programmer, and I noticed and how uh, you know, susceptible systems were to um, unauthorized access, you know, potential poor programming errors, etc. cetera. Um, and then IT, I started in IT security, and it just kind of expanded out from there. So more just general interest in uh, take a look at you know how someone could potentially undermine or defeat the control systems that exist in IT. So really got uh, got my feet wet in programming back in the you know dark days of data processing and mainframes, and then went on to you know, IT security and, uh, and internal audit, and that kind of just blossomed from there. That's so cool. Um, and I I'm actually currently reading a book called If Then that's uh, all about like IBM. You know, they have uh, stories of, yeah, Fortran and, you know, just oh, all, yeah. The, yeah, all all that stuff. So, uh, it, you know, actually, that's that's fascinating because, like, especially as, you know, computer systems have developed, um, definitely, I'm sure the the loopholes have, have, you know, gotten bigger and I guess maybe smaller in cases, too. But, yeah, I'm sure there's been a lot of developments, but it's cool field to have gotten into at that point. <laughs> yeah, certainly starting out in programming gives one a deeper uh, insight into the IT, you know, looking at how, you know, how machines actually work and making them work. And, you know, the code is just as, as good as the person programming it. So if someone's programming bad code or trying to just, you know, defeat the code, you know, it gives you a better insight. And having written code, both in COBOL and Fortran, um, you know, assembler language, you get a little bit deeper insights in the machine themselves. So it's kind of cool. That is, yeah, that's super cool. Uh, and I guess your company has allowed you to, um, you know, to travel quite extensively, as you kind of told me the other day, which is is really cool. Um, and you know, you you've you've been to um, you know many places. It sounds like so. What what are some of your favorite places? I guess that your your job has brought you to. <laughs> Yeah, as you mentioned, it's just a great career in the sense of being able to see the world, uh, been able to live and work in or travel to you know four, uh, seventy foreign countries to date. And of the top, I mean, there's always those that are you know kind of special. Um, and at the top of the list would be like Oman, uh, Scotland, Norway, Peru, uh, and then right here in the U.S., Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's always been a, a, a fun place to go. So uh, just always, I mean, I love travel, international travel. I think every everybody, U.S. citizen or, or a global citizen should have a fat passport and just see the world as much as you can. It was really, a, it's a good opportunity. That's super cool. Uh, okay, you cited the Pacific Northwest. Uh, any any choice spot up there? Um, yeah, probably Washington or well, more, more or less Oregon. We've done uh, a lot of hiking in, out in the Oregon area. So uh, right in the, at northwest corner, Oregon, probably better. Out of the two, I'd pick Oregon over Washington. So 
apologize to those folks listening from Washington, but you know, <laughs> go Ducks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I got a chance to visit both, and I actually, I'm, I'm with you. Oregon's, Oregon's beautiful. It's amazing, and I, I love Washington. It's great, and like even going up north and stuff into like you know British Columbia. But I know I'm, I, I, I think I'm with you on that. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's got the diversity of topography too. You got the West Coast; it's got the lush green, you know, forests. You got the ocean, and if you go further east, you got the high desert. So you got like you know three different ecosystems all in like one state, and even you know further south. But it's you know Oregon's a pretty good place to visit. Yeah, maybe maybe the the next thing is to start a a travel blog. <laughs> There you go. Oh yeah, I'm up for that. <laughs> Send me on the road. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> no worries. Interesting. Well, I, you know, I just uh, well travel right now these days not to belabor much longer. But I just got back from Germany and uh, travel is is uh, it's still kind of uh, rough around the edges given uh, you know uh, post pandemic and everything else. But um, took, took me uh, took me three days to get to Germany. My uh, destination took my luggage four, so <laughs> it wasn't that pleasurable this time around. Hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll get better. Sure. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as you've, you know, been within the field for, you know, a while since you started your company, you know, what would you say are some of the things that, um, maybe are the same and you know, what has changed in that period of time? Well, certainly what's changed is the technology. I mean, it's changing. You know, if you want to be say, you can say hourly, but not to be facetious, it's certainly changing quickly, much more rapidly. Um, you know, in the past, I think exponentially as quick technology is changing, the applications of the technology uh, and the, the barriers that some of the technology are uh, reducing. So yeah, that technology uh, as the primal is what's changing and has changed. And, you know, you're looking at where I started my career, mainframes and, and programming. Uh, now you're looking at, you know, artificial intelligence and you're talking about, you know, machine language. So even in that area, in that aspect, that changes so rapidly. And then the application of that technology. I mean, most of us, well, most of us my age, uh, you know, most folks today have more computing capacity on their wrist than I had on my desktop when I started, you know, back in the you know, 70s in IT. So yeah. obviously, uh, what's still the same? Threat actors, bottom line, from a cybersecurity and IT security, we still have threat actors. They may look different, but they're still threat actors. There's always someone trying to circumvent the controls, always someone trying to get into your computer systems, always someone trying to, um, you know, steal information. I mean, data, as we look at it, relatively speaking, data are an asset, right? So, you know, if you want to say that the second most important asset in your organization, personnel being the most and then data being the second, it's a commodity. And those data are valuable to somebody, no matter how insignificantly, seemingly uh, non-useful or insignificant to somebody, all data has value. So from that perspective, um, then, you know, someone is going to be able to try to steal it. So threat yeah. actors would be the same. They're just different. They come in different sizes and different forms and, you know, from different places. But I would say that would be the one constant we've had over the years. It's, it's persistent. Yeah, <laughs> not, not going away. <laughs> no, they're not going away. They're just finding better ways to do it and, you know, craftier ways to do it. So. Which yeah, is, which in all senses, you know, called job security. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, and actually, maybe to that point, like, uh, you know, what what would you say is like the most exciting part of the job? Because like, obviously, you're seeing things like international espionage or like, I don't know, like probably some really crazy stuff. But yeah, what what makes it exciting? though? Well, it, that's exactly that. It's, it's constantly changing. So you know, what you look at or work on, you know, 
three months ago, it could be completely different. Or you go into a company and what you look at or what you looked at in the past for them, now their environment could completely change depending on, you know, their acquisitions or the type of technology they brought on board. Um, yeah, personnel, it's, it's always a challenge. I mean, we love our, our employees, and but from a security person's perspective, those are our, you know, those are our weakest point of the company. So you have a 100-employee firm, you have 100 points of potential failure. Those employees uh, could be compromised. So think, I think you ask, you know, what's the most exciting part? Is to sit, sit down and think about, okay, um, and maybe just to say it concisely, um, thinking, being able to work and think like a, a, a threat actor. So if I had to break into this system, if I, if I had to circumvent the control, if I wanted to steal, how would I do it? And if I could think of some way to do it, then certainly someone else has thought of either the same way or something a little bit more craftier. And so then, all right, now how do you go and, and how would you mitigate that exposure? And how do you recommend to management what they might do in order to make that less of a target, make themselves less of a target? Definitely not not okay. trying to incriminate you here, but uh, uh, does that uh, ever tempt you to? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've always said to colleagues who similarly ask the same the same question, I've got to find a country that I want to live in permanently with no extradition. <laughs> so so you know, I found a lot of countries I'd love to live in for a while, but maybe not permanently. And certainly, other you know, countries have extradition orders. So yeah, no, I've been tempted. Uh, well, not in other words, it's, you, you see what can be done, so that you go yeah. to manage, like, here's how it can be done, and it's it's to management. Sometimes either they don't want to believe it's going to happen to them, or they don't see it. But you you can see it is um, you know there's there's ways you can make some significant you know <laughs> a side hustle. But uh, again, most of it is illegal and or unethical. So yeah, we just kind of you know point it out to management, put it in the report, and go from there. There you go, and let them let let them hopefully take care of it. Take care um, of it right. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I guess um, you know, I, I assume like the the part you know the assistance for the clients is around uh, prevention, uh, and sometimes that is triggered by a lapse in security, or you know, as you're you know um, kind of mentioning, you're talking about like you know maybe not paying too close of attention. Um, is that you know? Uh, an area that you've noticed that companies are keeping themselves exposed regularly? Like, is that, you know, it, do, you, do you notice like frequent lapses in security or like, you know, really apparent ones that seem to happen a lot? Um, not as often in the larger organizations because you know, security is becoming job one. I mean, it's just, you know, you cannot escape it. And more and more organizations are becoming cognizant of the fact, hey, we have to have good controls and good security. We have to train our personnel, stay on top of things. Uh, unfortunately, if you get down to lower tier, the small to medium-sized businesses tend not to be as vigilant uh, because a lot of security, a lot of control, I mean, it's a, it's a cost to the bottom line. A lot of small to medium-sized businesses are focused day-to-day, day in and making the next uh, budget cycle, making the next product, making the next client sale, getting that job done, running the business. And, you know, a lot of the revenues that are generated go into either keeping that business going and uh, security. Yeah, we need it, but it may not be where we put most of our attention. And that's unfortunate because then a lot of the small to medium sized companies tend to be at higher risk for potential exposures. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, the amount of like data leaks and stuff that happen, um, you know, has, has, it's definitely not slowed down. That's for sure. No, none of that. I mean, well, again, because, you know, the, uh, um, as I said earlier, data are an asset. So you know, 
Well, what was that are? I mean, what was it? Was it Willie? Oh, I forget the gentleman's name. Willie Rob. Oh, anyway, the famous bank robber. So that's why he robs banks. And you know, his response was, "Hey, that's where they keep the money." So you know, why go after computer systems? Well, that's what a data are. And what you may think is insignificant, ah, your competitor might find very valuable. Yeah. Or if I, could, if I could take bits and pieces of information, or maybe random, meaningless, but concatenate that, that might be something that actually turns into information that's sellable. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. I know. <laughs> and every time I hear about cybersecurity, thing, I'm like, wow, what am, what am I you know, not thinking of that I should probably be thinking of? And uh, and that's why I guess it's always good to have somebody around to to, to look at those things. But um, I know that you've also kind of like done cyber forensics, you know, helping put together, you know, pieces, data trails of like, you know, yeah, maybe who committed a crime or stole data. Um, I guess, you know, when you're kind of looking at that kind of information, I'm sure obviously you find the the flaws in, you know, somebody maybe trying to cover their tracks. But where where are those criminals, the hackers or any, you know, whatever threat actors, I guess, uh, uh, where, where are they usually making their mistakes? Um, not not to give everybody the lesson on what no, they should think no. about, but, you know. <laughs> well, um, basically, I, most of my, the, the really, really good cyber criminal, all right, or the cyber terrorist, you're probably not going to catch because that person is being paid to provide information, provide data to someone who's willing to pay a lot of money for it. So they're not going to, you know, they don't care about their 15 minutes of fame on the well. They're not looking for anything. They're going to keep well below the radar and you probably will never find them in your system. So it's the, po the folks that get a little sloppy that think, well, um, I can just erase a file or I can trash a disk and you won't find the data, but are not cognizant of the facts of you know, concepts like, you know, Slack space or the forensic analyst can look into Slack space and find remnants of a document or uh, remnants of an email that might be just a piece of uh, information that is evidential matter enough to be significant to say, hey, you know, this is what you did or what you were doing or who you communicated with. Um, now looking at the, uh, with the, the appropriate forensic tools, one can identify the make and model of a, of a thumb drive that was attached to a machine and when it was attached. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of technology out there in the right hands that can, uh, uh, that can specifically you know, look for those digital uh, footprints and those digital crumbs that, that most most end users have no idea that even exists. And they think, you know, you know, unless you take a, you know, a, a thumb drive, hard drive and, you know, pulverize it into back into silicon and spread that across the seven beaches on the seven continents uh, equally, you may, and I emphasize may be secure. But other than that, I mean, there are ways to grab information off of media that uh, exists today that most people don't even realize. Wow. Um, I mean, um, I've seen cases where uh, you can actually, you know, you put together a hard drive and someone broke it or take the pieces and put it into a, you know, into a plastic mold, mold and then be able to read the, the uh, fragments of the drive um, and just pick information off the individual you know, sectors off the tracks. So, you know, data are still there unless you complete, completely, completely destroy it. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, this, you know, 
kudos to all the playwrights and you know the professionals that are actors and actresses but you, you, you really just can't simply solve the crime before the commercial or in, you know within an hour so the stuff we see on uh, ncis and csi i mean it's great it's a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff is, is great entertainment but um i have yet to work with a firm that was able to get a, a dna match in, in 10 minutes you know yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep that stuff in mind. <laughs> yeah definitely i i just i love the the clips of where they keep continuing to zoom in and zoom in and there's like it's seemingly infinite resolution that they have to like you know that that's the thing that always kills me i was like that that you can't do that can't that that. and then and then honestly it's sometimes a challenge for some of the colleagues that that actually work and uh, are testifying experts and expert witnesses because you're really dealing with if you do it you know 12 people that are you know juries of your peers that, that come in that have just watched this you know an episode of csi well how, i just saw them do that why can't you guys do that what do you mean you can't and so you kind of have that and in fact there was a really good book out there on the csi effect um you know, from, from an attorney trying to defend a um, evidential matter when looking at, well, they did it on television. How come you guys can't do this? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I saw Minority Report uh, a <laughs> year ago and like they had these sweet, you know, displays and we're, you know, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, yeah it's so funny uh, that that uh, I guess, yeah, people just believe it. It should it should be true. I saw it on TV. <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, who knows? Some of that stuff, Minority Report's a good example. And, you know, that might you know, it's in the works somewhere in the skunks works. And, you know, what we're thinking is um, you know, not possible today. Who knows? Five years from now, three years from now, it might be mainstream. So that's a quicker sure. technology is changing. Now. Yeah. I know the pace of it is, uh, is cool. And, it, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, that is the thing that also, it keeps it, uh, keeps it fun, keeps it interesting. Um, in terms of like, uh, you know, I know we've been talking about threats and threat actors and stuff like that, but, uh, on a global scale, um, is there anything that you could point to that you feel like is, uh, maybe like a, a big risk or like, you know, things that maybe people should think about or watch out for? Uh, uh, beyond global warming, right? Um, <laughs> 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 right? Uh, <laughs> um, some of the bigger risks, I think, basically would be that I, I see our, our state-sponsored cyber terrorism, uh, theft, espionage. Um, again, these are uh, threat actors with seemingly unlimited resources, you know, financial resources, personnel resources. And uh, again, uh, there's a direct threat to an organization. I've always said in many of my presentations and talking with colleagues that you know, again it's a personal opinion but there's in my opinion there's absolutely 100 percent no secure computer system in the world i mean you know i don't care if it's buried in a mountain and and you know cheyenne wyoming encased in concrete whatever um but the you, know, you have a machine you have technology and the the you know the the uh picosecond that you uh, provide uh, a uh, you know carbon-based unit access to a silicon-based unit you've exponentially weakened the security and so since personnel are the you know a, a significant threat source and exposure source and you have personnel with unlimited resources and unlimited time so anyone with enough time effort energy money and desire will find a way to get the information they want yeah, uh, a lot of things that you know we talk with our clients about is that the least technical attack may be the most successful attack. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't have to have all kinds of technology if I can compromise one of your employees. True, and um, we've done several scenarios and you know desktop exercises for organizations 
on you know, the whole concept of uh, cyber extortion when we build scenarios. And, you know, if I can get an employee to provide me with, um, you know, find out that I walk up to you know, someone in your firm and say, hey, you know, here's 100K. Um, I need access to port 52 next uh, uh, next Thursday night around you know two in the morning or next Friday morning at two. I don't know, maybe 100k. Not, you want 150k? All right, here's how, yeah, because whatever I'm going to pay will be far less than the value of what I will attain by getting access to that port and to that network and then into that system. Yeah. So um, you know, most organizations spend a lot of time, effort, and energy on the external, maybe sometimes internal security. Um, but not necessarily enough time on the personnel security. Mm-hmm. Who's actually working in the company? You know, small, medium-sized company. You probably know all your employees. But you know, take a company the size of, I don't know, even around, you know, locally here. Some of the companies have, you know, hundreds of employees. I mean, thousands of employees. You know, I wonder how often, you know, HR sits back and asks, you know, how many of these employees are are actually working for a competitor? Well, they show up. They show up every day. They do their job. They've got a workstation. They've got a password, login, and access, and they've got pretty much freedom to you know move around the facility. You know, they meet with a competitor once a week and do a brain dump and hand over a you know a package of information or documents they may have picked up. So again, that tends to be the salient uh, you know exposure. You know, how when you talk about information leak, um, it's non-technical, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So you have, so industrial espionage is, is rampant, is one of the you know higher you know biggest threats, but usually goes unreported because either the company doesn't know about it or they certainly don't want it publicized. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. All right. So the lesson of the podcast is that every employee is a liability. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we can kind of chuckle, but yeah, it is. And you know, you want you 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 know, like your employees, you trust your employees, you know, but I go back to good old Ronnie, you know, trust but verify. Um, you know, what do the employees have access to? What should they have access to? What was the last time you did a background check? What's the security? Uh, what's your insurance? I mean, should an, you know, an employee abscond with data? You know, what's the liability to the organization? Um, the, you know, does each employee or does every employee really need to have access to all these files and all these data? It should be on a need to know basis. Should it be restricted to their job function? Um, how do you know if they're deleting files or copying files or you know, taking data out of the building? Um, a lot of companies we've done um, reviews for organizations are so concerned about employees bringing something into the, into the office. Uh, but you can have all the front end controls. But if you don't think about what they're taking out, then you're exposed as well on the outside. So I come in with nothing, but you know, I leave with, you know, I come in with one laptop and I leave with two. Because someone left the laptop on, you know, unsecured somewhere, and I walk out with it. Well, well, you just lost whatever was on that laptop. Wow. Yeah. So I, yeah. Now that that makes me think of office space and the thumb drive, and you know, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> dude, yeah, I I definitely I uh, just as much as you're right, yeah, uh, you know, kind of joking about it is like that that seems real, and it's funny, just as though you know people might uh you know think about those big you know um cyber terrorist events or like state sponsored cyber terrorism. Uh, I, I think it is, it's a, it's a fair point that, yeah, there's a lot of sources of, you know, potential weakness and, you know, just the people that you have around you, the people that have access. So, um, no, that's, that's, it's so it's, it's almost, it's, uh, so real. It's sobering. <laughs> oh, it is. Sobering is a good, it's a good choice of words. And maybe it's something where management, you know, more than just periodically should just sit back and think, okay, you know, where could data leak 
from my organization and you know what would be the least technical way it could do and do that you know walk out the front door walk out the back door and mm-hmm. are all my employees you know vetted um, to, you know if they don't if they have access to data is it data that i can afford to lose if they were to compromise the company yeah. what, would, what would be the risk to the organization if you know, next year's budget or next year's marketing plan or, you know, the top, you know, 200 client list was released or whatever the case might be. What's the financial damage, the academic damage, what's the reputation of brand damage? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, yeah, I'm actually thinking of all the things that, yeah, just financial information. Yeah. Upcoming, yeah. Formulas uh, for products, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, and, and as we're talking about those kind of, you know, um, those things, uh, of, of, you know, things that people might be interested in, uh, have you ever seen any thread in what that maybe, uh, you know, of, of what maybe like those threat actors are after, is it, you know, generally money related or influence or activism? I'm sure you've seen probably maybe a, uh, a variety of different motivations, uh, and as you mentioned, yeah, people can easily be sounds like paid off probably for, you know, uh, trying to get access to the data. But um, but yeah, have you noticed any sort of thread over time? Yeah, I mean, that's a good, very good question. It's hard to I think I, I'm not sure I can pinpoint any one driving force that would motivate a hacker because hackers uh, themselves are, are different. Um, you know, some do it, as I said before, maybe for that 15 minutes of fame. Um, some will do it for, for political reasons. Some will do it for, hey, I'm just better than you. Uh, some will do it for personal satisfaction. Some do it for the money. I mean, I don't think there is one specific thread or one type of act, uh, of um, characteristic or one type of hacker. They, they fall under a variety of different. And unfortunately, I mean, hackers today aren't the same ilk of hackers again when I started. I mean, hackers had a really different connotation back in the 60s and 70s when it was more of a scientific approach. It was trying to solve problems, trying to find a, you know, a, an error or a problem in the programming and fix it. It wasn't uh, out to uh, create social unrest or political upheaval or destroy data or you know, seek ransom. So the whole term has kind of morphed and changed from what it started to be to what it is today. Um, so motivation probably, you know, across the spectrum. Yeah, I'm sure someone who does, you know, personality uh, trait analyses would have a field day trying to, you know, do that profile of a hacker. It could be, you know, that multi-faced Johnist type person. Um, Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I guess maybe... um, for yourself, as obviously, you know, you, you, you've been in this field, you see things day in, day out, you've been to multiple, you know, countries, worked with companies all over the world. Uh, I, you know, how do you treat your own, uh, you know, kind of personal information? And, you know, are, are you are you afraid of somebody getting access to your own information? Or is it just something you kind of, you know, do what you should and don't worry about it too much? Well, I'm very, very cautious of my information. I mean, you still think my name is Al, right? Uh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very <laughs> cautious about what I put out there. And, and um, you know, the, the question or my approach is just always ask, well, why do you need this information? If the information is not relevant uh, or it's not um, expected, it's not necessary to complete the transaction or whatever it might be, then why ask it? You know, why provide it? And I've found many times there, you know, people will put information simply because it's on the form. 
But if you don't put it on the form, you know, the person collecting the form, whether it's electronically or even hard copy, doesn't have, doesn't ask for it, uh, doesn't require it, doesn't ask. They just take the form. So and I think a lot of time people put information out there just because simply it's, it's being asked of them without stopping for a minute and saying, well, why is it being asked? Is it really relevant to what I'm doing? And if I don't provide it, is that going to be a problem? And if it is, they're going to, you know, someone will ask me for it. And then I have a chance to ask more questions. Well, why do you need it? How do you use it? What are you going to do with it? How do you protect it? How do you delete it? So yeah, I am pretty cautious about what goes out there simply because, I mean, the whole idea of, um, you know, social engineering, which has been around for decades, has just become easier and easier. Um, back, oh, I don't know now, somewhere in early 80s, I wrote a book on, um, on identity theft before you know, before we had identity theft as it looks like today. And even back then it was so easy. It was much, much, much easier to be you know, that doppelganger. Um, and today, a little bit more difficult. People, to some degree, are a little bit more cautious and curious. But I still see people going into, you know, when was it Starbucks the other day? Well, before, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was. And this person just walks in and they're waiting for their drink. And they go up and they scan this, you know, QC code. For some kind of sense off coupon. I'm thinking, well, you know, it wouldn't be that difficult for someone to create their own, you know, QC codes, just tape it over that and have you send you to somewhere, you know, uh, that you don't want to go or somewhere that, you know, might seem like uh, the provide the uh, retail operation. And all of a sudden I'm just getting all this information from your mobile device. But the person who seemed to think twice about it just scans it with no problem. Mm -hmm. So, so um, yeah, long answer to a short question, but. Um, I'm pretty vigilant and protective of limiting what information I put out there. All right. So, well, some, of it, some of it you can't restrict, some of it you can't. And then, but yeah, when I can, I am. I, I definitely, I, I feel like that's going to make me just, you know, more slightly more cautious after we have this, you know, con <laughs> here. yeah, I'm going to think about it probably a little bit more. Um, so um, in terms of the field in general, have you seen any new cool breakthroughs, things that have, you know, maybe come out in, uh, you know, allowing you better access to, as you mentioned, like, you know, like making a mold of a drive and then, you know, kind of accessing the the sectors and stuff on it. Like, has there been any things that you, you feel like have been like monumental in helping, you know, discover or prevent cybercrime? Well, I think uh, prevent is probably never going to happen. I, I, I often um, cringe when I people say, well, you can't prevent. Someone's going to want it, they're going to do it. So mitigate would be maybe the strongest word to, to mitigate or at least to identify potential weaknesses and securities. Um, you know, one package, and again, there's no promotion here. There's no uh, remuneration, but I'm just saying package that you know we've looked at and we've used. Um, it's called Kina VM. Um, it's kind of an interesting piece of software because it, looks at real world threats and exploit intelligence, combines data science and analytics and AI to you know, look at vulnerabilities and determine which are the highest risks and which ones you really have to worry about. So an organization can kind of do a risk inventory if they wanted to use software to say, hey, these, were, these are areas that we should really focus on. Um, so from a software perspective, and then just the blending of um, you know, the augmented use of data analytics uh, we do a lot of work, uh, a lot of um, presentation to clients on data analytics and how those can be applied to fraud analyses, for example, um, uh, doing, uh, looking at where the fraud may be. You don't have a whole lot of time. You don't have a lot of resources and personnel. So how can I look at using the predictive analyses that uh, 
come with the analytic tools to say these might be areas that would be a higher potential for fraud. Let me concentrate my resources there. Um, that's you know kind of an approach more from that perspective. Cool. Yeah, that, that's really neat. Um, and uh, all right, in in all the things you've seen, what would you say um, was maybe one of the most or more creative hacks that you've ever uh, you were ever able to uh, kind of uncover? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know, uncover. I'm not sure. Oh, I didn't uncover them. I mean, and then creative, like I said, are are, and some of them are old school because they you know they go back uh, go back days, but they were. Um, clever enough because people thought of like the non-technical ways. So I'm thinking, you know, more people, more and more people are using technology, but technology is getting, you know, it's getting better and more and more people are trying to clamp down the technology. So going old school and, and trying to look at, you know, the least technical attack. Um, I, there was one case we had that was kind of interesting, but this was in Europe. Um, this individual had, and this was back in the day, so went into his, his, um, local branch of the bank and replaced the deposit slips with his deposit slips. So when a, when a depositor came in, they would just take out, typically would take out a blank slip and fill it out and hand it to the cashier. Um, well, they would take the slip out of the, out of the bin, but it had his micro numbers on it and would be recorded to his account. And so he'd have it, you know, the person would come in and show their deposit slip, but then the bank would, credit them, but also deposit the money in this guy's account because it went automatically, you know, read the bank micro numbers were read, I thought that was pretty cool. So like, that's not technical, but whoever looks at that nowadays, nowadays you don't do that anymore. It's all electronic funds transfer. So, all right, we have to come up with something, something different and new. Um, so that wasn't really, you know, super technical, but, and, and then even something like, um, you know, Captain Crunch back in the seventies, you know, one of the first quote unquote hackers, you know, he breaks and hacks into a phone system with a, you know, with a toy whistle or the cereal box. Oh, okay. So that's not technical, but, you know, you're, you're circumventing the security. How many people at, you know, at the at Bell Systems thought gee, someone could do this and circumvent the system and, and make a call with a, you know, mimicking the uh, uh, exchange tones on our, our uh, you know, our telecommunications environment with a, with a whistle. So, yeah. you know, so that, that's not technical, but I thought that was pretty ingenious to thinking about that. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't know about the, the, the attacks today, like I said earlier about hackers, a lot of hackers today, you know, they, they were the, or they fall into the category of hacker, but you take, they buy the code. They don't even write the code themselves. They'll buy the code from a third party and launch the code. Well, that's not hacking. I mean, and let's, I don't know what you'd call that, but if you're going to be, if you're going to hack something, you got to really write the code, know the code, know what it does, reach the system, but just go out and buy it from a third party and then launch it against the target. Uh, yeah creative or not so yeah it doesn't get it doesn't get my vote for being very creative yeah that's cool uh the thing about the bank uh yeah that is it's just one of those things yeah it wasn't incredibly technical but wow that's uh yeah just a well, and the same like another example and it's been around for decades and, and you know this is what we looked at you know from a programming perspective when i was in programming that's why i think added to um you know my background from a security perspective and it uh security uh, internal audit IT audit point of view is that um, in the you know, the salami attack is called where you slice off bits and pieces of an account. Well, this person really was smart enough that you know he took the the sense field and created a field of I think it was nine twelve characters, twelve positions, but only moved the first you know rounded the bank would round the numbers of the first two. Well, he took the next nine positions and dumped it into his own account. 
And so the bank never missed it because they were rounding um, and, uh, or actually I think they were truncating the first two positions. So the next nine positions in the field were unused when this guy figured out, well, Hey, the bank's not going to miss it. It's not going to mess up the balance of the account. It's still real money. Let me take that and siphon it off into my own account, which he did. <laughs> the only way the guy got caught because he was making so much money. He appeared on a marketing report for these jumbo investors and they, the uh, marketing department went to, you know, contact him to, to do some you know marketing and sell some more you know investment uh you know, whatever you know bonds or whatever so investment uh, instruments to him and found out that the guy was in the, in the bank's it department and wasn't making nearly half that amount amount of money and you know leading to an investigation but that was pretty clever yeah definitely oh that that is that's super clever um all right. So you, you'd mentioned back in the day, you know, for, you know, kind of uh, the, the, the first one there. And, uh, and I have to ask it, did you ever read 2600 magazine? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's yeah. still classic. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I got introduced to that, I think, uh, as, as a teen and, uh, yeah. And so that, that was where I, I actually learned about red boxes and blue boxes and all sorts of, yeah, the, the, the phone, stuff i guess freaking as it was freaking, called freaking, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah a lot of a lot of good uh, a lot of good uh, literature uh-huh. <laughs> in the day <laughs> <laughs> definitely it was it was really cool i think i had picked up my copies at uh, world news in clayton and stuff so uh, yeah okay but yeah, yeah 600 magazine and uh, there were other other publications that may not have been as uh, uh have the same notoriety but some of the same ilk mm-hmm. uh, which were pretty interesting and yeah. then, the, yeah, and then the people that you met um, may have met may have fallen under the uh, umbrella of uh, you know, more technical uh, than socially aware, but they had some pretty good insights into technology. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you know, no matter what, it was so cool. You know, obviously, even if you were you weren't out there to employ these techniques, you know, to understand them and to know, mm-hmm. you know, how people were thinking or what people were doing. I, I just, yeah, I felt like that kind of uh, that kind of publication was, you know, it was always fascinating. That's right. Well, you make a very good point. You know, not that you're going to uh, go out and actually do. Uh, a certain attack or do a procedure or, but to know how it is done so that you could take a look at your environment and say, okay, if this were to be deployed against my environment, would it be successful? This is mm-hmm. how it's done. Here's what needs to be in place for it to be successful. Now I take a look at my environment, whether it be your networks or your firewalls or your applications or whatever, do they, are they exposed or are they in a position that, well, she would make them easily or uh, more susceptible to this type of attack or any attacks. And if they are, then that's your opportunity to go in and try to harden those environments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, uh, always tools for just, you know, how people think. And I guess that can help you, as you mentioned, yeah, earlier on in the podcast, like, you know, understanding that and, you know, yeah, how can you employ that to to hopefully, uh, yeah, not necessarily prevent uh, things, but but mitigate. (laughs) Mitigate, Right, right. you know, then yeah, trust would verify yeah. So, yeah. from that perspective as well. Well, that's cool. Well, I, I, I have to say, like, all of this is definitely uh, it's half terrifying, half fascinating, you know, definitely because of uh, all the things your your mind could go on a rampage of thinking about just, you know, opportunities for, you know, cybercrime or hackers. But it is I feel like at the end of the day, it's such a neat field. Uh, and and definitely I, I really appreciate you being on the podcast to to share all this and, and all the experience and stuff that you've had. So, yeah, thank you so much.
Well, thanks, Brent. Appreciate the opportunity, Brent. And uh, you know, look forward to doing it again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we definitely would be happy to have you on again because uh, I'm sure this field is not slowing down. So, uh, yeah, thanks. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, this has been another episode of Mix and Matchbox. Uh, we'll be back soon with more content.